am so excited for today. We have been uh, walking through Advent uh, for about four weeks now. Uh, we were starting in Isaiah, and then the last couple of weeks been, we've been in Luke, and today that is where we will be as well. So go in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Um, we're going to be focusing in on verses 13 and 14, but I'm actually going to read the entirety of the story because it is Christmas Eve, and uh, it's good for the family of God to read the Christmas story in its entirety. Uh, so I'm going to read verses 1 through 21 although we'll be focusing in on verses 13 and 14. Today, we are going to be focusing in on the angel's candle and talking about the peace of God. So Luke 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Were you here last week? Good news of great what? Joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will, be, uh, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lo- cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So when I was 16, uh, I went to a church camp with my youth group back in Quero, Texas, home of the Fighting Gobblers. Um, I had been a Christian about a year. I was actually saved the year before at a church camp. And the speaker of that camp was a guy named Louis Giglio. Anybody ever heard of Louis Giglio? Um, he's famous for starting the Passion Conference. He's a pastor out in Atlanta. So Louis gets on stage. And when he did this, it wasn't really that significant to me. But this week, uh, the Lord just kind of brought it to my mind. But he got on stage, uh, and he pulls out a golf ball. Kind of looks like this. And he said, if the earth was the size of a golf ball, and I, in my 16-year-old pessimistic mind, am like, what did I just walk into? Like, is this just going to be one cheesy illustration the entire time? Um, So glad you came to church today. Um, But he held out this little golf ball for everyone to see. 
Um, and so before I jump into this, keep in mind the text that we're going to focus in on today. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God on the highest. So I want us, before we jump into the gospel, take a second and consider all that the angels have seen. Okay, Scripture tells us that the angels were present during creation, Job 38.4. It says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who has stretched the line upon it? Or what, what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. And we are to understand that sons of God as the angels. So the angels were firsthand witnesses to creation. So when God said, let there be light, the angels were there. And perhaps they shouted for joy. So when they say glory to God in this moment in Luke chapter 2, they have reason to say it. I mean, they have seen God's preeminence, his creation, his power, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence. Like they know the glory of God. So if the earth were the size of a golf ball, the sun would be about 15 feet in diameter. I think we've got a picture of the sun. Um, Pippi, thank you. Um, the earth would be about 15 feet in di- diameter. And Louis said, which I thought was funny, he said, I need you to look as close as you can and see if you can find yourself on this golf ball. Maybe you're one of those little divots, I don't know. Um, but the point is that we should feel small because we are. And so if you look up at the screen, you see the sun, it's not 15 feet in diameter, but it's as close as we can get to it. And so if the earth was a golf ball, then you could put 960,000 earths inside of the sun. That's enough golf balls to fill an entire school bus. So the sun is this massive star in our very own solar system, and the angels saw God created. And then, I'll never forget, um, Louis said, now let me tell you about another star in our solar system, or in the universe. Um, He said, this star is called Betelgeuse, which is just a fun name to say. So that's Betelgeuse, um, Betelgeuse, it's small in that picture, but it's twice the size of, and you think that I'm going to say our sun, right? Betelgeuse, that star, is twice the size of Earth's orbit around the sun, okay? So if the Earth were a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be the height of six Empire State Buildings on top of each other. So here's a picture of the Empire State Building in New York. So just imagine going up to the Empire State Building and putting this little golf ball by the front doors, And then imagine six more Empire State Buildings on top of that. And if the earth was a golf ball, you are somewhere on that golf ball. You could fit 262 trillion earths inside of Betelgeuse. So you could fit the entire, uh, you could fill the entire Dallas Cowboys Stadium with golf balls 3,000 times. So our friend uh, Kevin Raymond, who works with AI, got us a picture. This is what he came up with. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, so imagine that entire stadium filled with golf balls 3,000 times. If you pick one of those golf balls, you are somewhere on it. Glory to God in the highest, right? It's pretty cool. He made Beetlejuice, and when he did, perhaps the angels shouted for joy. Now, what's the biggest star that we know of? Well, that title belongs to a star called Canis Majoris. So if the earth were a golf ball, 
Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Okay? So imagine going to the bottom of that mountain and putting this little golf ball right at its foot. And somewhere on that golf ball, you were on it. That's, you could fit seven quadrillion earths inside of Canis Majoris. And God spoke Canis Majoris into existence. You could cover the entire state of Texas with golf balls 22 inches deep. Astrologers say there are about 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. And so let's make sure we understand the, the numbers, right? One million seconds ago was a week and four days ago. So what were you doing on December 13th? That was a million seconds ago. A billion seconds ago was 31 years ago. So if you were born after 1992, you're not even a billion seconds old. What about a trillion? Can you take a guess? World War II, maybe the 1800s. One trillion seconds ago was 3100 B.C. And God put each of the 200 billion trillion stars in their place. The angels saw it. But here's what I want you to hear from God's word. The angels saw all of creation. But that's not what they thought gave God glory in the highest. The greatest glory that God ever displayed was his sovereign decision to become a man, to become like us. First Peter 1.8 tells us that the angels, when they, when they look at salvation, all the things concerning salvation and how God relates to us as human beings, First Peter 1.8 tells us that the angels long to look more deeply into these things, that they want to know about it. It's, it's fascinating to them that the angels saw God's power to great. They saw him place our sun in the sky. They saw him place Betelgeuse in the cosmos. They saw him place Canis Majoris. But in this moment, when God becomes a man, the text says, and picture this, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And then they make a proclamation. And this proclamation, it's not about the stars, it's not about the cosmos, but this proclamation is about us and God. They say, and on earth, this tiny, tiny earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And peace, it's something that we all long for on this tiny, tiny little world that God created. And when we don't have it, it's something that we feel in the deepest parts of our souls and it's painful, and it hurts. The reality is, for, for many of us on Christmas, maybe even some of us in this room, you don't feel peace right now. Like, you feel whatever the opposite of peace is. You feel chaos. You feel lonely. You, you miss that person that's not here. You, you, you feel like you've had a very disappointing 2023. Maybe you are here, and you feel shame. You feel like God's going to strike you down right now just for being in this place. When the Hebrews talked about Genesis 1 and 2, they used the word to describe it. That word was shalom. It's a difficult word to translate English because we don't have a word that's equivalent to it. The closest we ha word we have in the English language is the word peace, but honestly, the word peace doesn't do it justice. Because when we think of peace, we think about the absence of conflict, that nothing bad is happening, right? The absence of conflict. But shalom isn't only the absence of bad things. Shalom is the presence of good things, that all is as it should be. That there was a rhythm to the way in which God created things in Genesis 1 and 2. And humanity walked with God in perfection. A perfect God created a perfect world, and we were meant to enjoy him 
perfectly. And as we all know, and some of you feel this right now, shalom was broken. It was lost. And all was as it shouldn't be. And that's the burden we feel today. Like, you just look around. Like, we look around and we go, something isn't right. Something's off. Something's broken. And the rest of the Bible is humanity longing for that shalom that was in Genesis 1 and 2 to return. And so we're all searching, searching for something to satisfy us, something to make us whole, something to make everything okay. And over and over, we as humans, man, in our brokenness, in our shame, we choose sin again and again. And instead of resting in all that was, we wonder, is this really all that is? So consider this. If the earth were a golf ball, and somewhere on this golf ball you are, that he created you in that place. He created you to glorify him, to be in relationship with him, to to experience the shalom that you were designed for. And of all the things he created, he created you different than everything else, different than the stars. Genesis says that you were created in the image of God. Nothing else he created was in his image, but you were. And scripture tells us that every single one of us, we've all turned away from our creator. We've all rejected him and we've chose to worship created things rather than the creator. All of us on this golf ball have turned away. Romans 3, 9 says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good not even one, that we are all under the curse of sin. And the scary thing is that there is nothing that we can do to free ourselves from that curse. Either we suffer it ourselves eternally, separated from God, or Jesus takes on the penalty of sin himself, and in his grace, he gives you on this golf ball salvation. And so he came. And here's the reality about the Christmas season. So this time of year it pulls on this eternal longing that we all have in our hearts. Like, think about it. This is the time of year, every Christmas, when Buddy is going to be reconciled with his father that abandoned him. Isn't that a beautiful story? Or or, or the heart of the Grinch is going to grow three times, right? Clark is going to get that bonus check just in time to put the pool in, right? Anybody know that movie? Okay. Um, See, the world... The world lives in a shadow of the true joy of Christmas, where where they get a taste of peace, but it's momentary, it's seasonal. And all of the stories that we associate Christmas with, they pull from this longing that everyone has to be at peace, to be at peace with ourselves, to be at peace with our circumstances, to be at peace with our families, to be at peace in our relationships, to be at peace with God. It's It's what Ecclesiastes 3.11 calls the eternity in our hearts. And the only reason the Hallmark Channel is so popular during the Christmas season is because that shadow of eternity that the world lives in, it's a momentary escape from the realities of this world, that this world is hard and this world is difficult. And we get to watch on a screen or hear in a story about the reconciliation that we all want. The reconciliation we want with God, the reconciliation we want with the world, with our marriage, with our friend, with our son, our daughter, with our sister, our brother, this reconciliation that we all long for. Christmas pulls on this string that says, yeah, that's what's right. 
And every year we hope, is this the year that everything's gonna be okay, that all is going to be as it should be? And we're stuck in this place, in this shadow, where we're longing for peace, but we don't know how to get it. And on December 26th, there's going to be so many in the world, maybe even some of us in this room, that you're going to wake up disappointed because you've tethered yourself to a man-made idea rather than the one who made all things. The angels proclaim glory to God in the highest. And they say, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so here's the question. If my deepest longing is peace and peace comes among those whom he is pleased, then the question becomes, well, is he pleased with me? You ever ask yourself that? Is he pleased with me? Maybe, maybe you start to ask questions like, is he pleased with my efforts this year? Is he pleased with how I treated others, how I treated my spouse, how I treated my kids, how I treated my friends, my roommate, so on, and so my boss, my employees, whatever. Is he, is he pleased with me? Is he pleased with how much money I gave? Is he pleased with how much I read the Bible? Now, those are good questions to ask, and maybe you should ask them. But we get in trouble because that's, I don't think that's where we start with the gospel. See, the things that we do for God, the things that we do for God are a result of something that has already happened. If we start going down those rabbit trails of what ifs, then we will potentially misunderstand how God chooses to give you peace. That God's giving of peace and salvation is dependent on you, on what you can do, on what you're capable of. That, that God only gives peace to those who do good things. Or that God only gives peace to those who read their Bible enough last year. But the thing is, biblically, you will never do enough good to make your heart grow three sizes. I saw a clip uh, the other day of Ah, uh, just see, this is why. This morning at 2 a.m. I started adding stuff. I don't know. But I, I, I saw a clip of a church that did, based their whole sermon around the Grinch. And I actually thought it was kind of cute and kind of cool. But they totally misunderstood. Like, you, you can't just make your heart grow three sizes. It's not that you do stuff and then your heart grows three sizes. It's that God interrupts your life and changes your heart. And that's grace. And so is God pleased with you? The Bible says none is righteous, no not one. But here's what I have found so transformative about Advent. This is just personally for me. The beauty of Advent is that it shifts our attention from ourselves to something better, to something more glorious, that on our own, we will always live in that shadow, searching for something, having a taste, but, but not sure how to obtain, searching for peace, searching for joy. But the message of Advent unlike the message of Christmas, is this reality that God being pleased with you does not begin with what you can do. So the question becomes then, not what can I do to have the peace of God, but what has God done on my behalf that brings me peace? That peace comes from, the peace that comes from God is not something that we earn, but rather it is something that has been given. I mean, look at Ephesians 2.13. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I think we live this life when we're in that shadow and we want peace, we, we want to be okay, we want all to be as it should be, and we're constantly looking for a way to get out of that shadow and to have something real. Because we all know that in this world, the things that we experience, they're temporary, they're, they're just a shadow of what's true. And so we search and we search and we search, 
And we long and we long and we long and it never happens, but scripture says, no, he has brought you near to him. He's brought you near to him. And then here's what he says. Who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So let me ask the question again. Who is God pleased with? Is he pleased with you? Psalm 147.10. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, and those whose hope, who hopes in his steadfast love. In other words, his pleasure is not found in you based on what you can do, on what you've earned. His pleasure is found in those who are near to him, those who know his steadfast love, who are in all of him, and those that he's brought near, we scream, he's good. We delight in him. And so then the question becomes, do you know the steadfast love of God? That the creator of all things, he died in the place of the created so that we might have peace. See, the message of Advent is that joy, love, and peace, and hope have a name, and its name is Jesus. The God that you rebelled against has come, and he has brought you from death to life, and now your gaze is fixed, not on the things of this world, but on him. And so when you find yourself in that place where you know that you don't have peace, and whatever circumstance that is, Marriage, money, family, job, relationships, just fear. You find yourself in that place where you know in your bones this isn't right. If you've tethered yourself to the things of this world, you will always be searching, always discontent. But if you tether yourself to the king who came, was born, and died, and rose from the grave, circumstances can change, and peace Will remain. And so that means that when the lights come down on December 26, when there are no more presents to receive, when the magic of Christmas is gone, your peace is going to remain because you're tethered to Him. Your pleasure in this life is rooted in Christ. That if you believe that the Son of God was born of a virgin, He lived a perfect life, He died, and He rose from the grave, and He's seated on the throne right now then yeah, your marriage can be healed. That son, that daughter, they can be saved. That peace that you long for, that that pain that you feel, that God opens up a scar, when God opens up a scar, he he doesn't intend, intend to not heal it. The thing that you long for that hurts, that you want to be okay, you can be tethered to him and know he's better than anything else. And that he is with you. On this Christmas Eve, my my prayer is that you remember that when God became a baby, the angels declared glory to God in the highest, that the height of God's glory wasn't the creation of the stars, but it was that he chose in his sovereignty to become like us because we couldn't find peace on our own. But God, right? That he came from perfect heaven to broken earth to save and to redeem and to heal and to renew, to bring the shalom back. Think about it this way. Ephesians 1.3 says that before the foundation of the earth was created, he chose you. So before this was a thing, before the earth was, he knew you. 
He knew you. He knew what you needed. And he knows right now what you need. He knows your pain, your hurt, your fear. And he meets you in that place and he redeems and he restores and he renews and he brings the shalom back. And so on this Christmas Eve, I pray that we would find the courage and the energy and the joy to proclaim with the angels, glory to God in the highest, that he's better than anything else, that he has brought the peace back. And all will be one day as it should be, that we look forward. Not just, we don't just look backwards to the first advent, but we look forward to the second advent, that one day in Revelation 21, it says that he's going to make all things new, that this little ball, he's gonna renew it all. Not make something new, but he's gonna renew it. And all the tears that you feel, they will be gone. All the pain that you feel will be gone and you will finally experience true shalom. And we look forward to that day as the church. So at some point today, I hope you think on the angels singing glory to God in the highest that he has come to redeem, to restore, and to renew. And that when you think about what's possible, you don't think about based on what you can do, on what you're capable of, the healing of that marriage, the, the, the pain the, that you wouldn't feel the loneliness anymore or the hurt or that, that person, your neighbor, your son, your daughter, the, the nations would be saved and know God that you would think and pray based on what he's capable of. Not on what we're capable of because he did come. He was born and he lived and he died and he rose from the grave and so we cling to him who's better than anything else. 